I'll give you a minute to get there. Um, while you're turning there, uh, uh, Tom and I and somebody else, uh, Brian or Brad or somebody, anyway, we were talking and uh, somehow our conversation earlier today got on crime and the enforcement of laws and punishment for crime. And uh, Tom had mentioned, you know, what most people have heard that uh, throughout history and I think today as well, in some countries when a crime is committed, specifically theft, that, uh, it, you know, they may, the officials may remove a finger or a hand, you know, chop off part of uh, the hand or the entire hand as a deterrent for crime, which, you know, in our society sounds brutal and bizarre. But I think we all pretty much know strong punishment deters the wrong kind of actions. Um, I, I think we'd all agree with that. Um, but as we look through these chapters, the Sermon on the Mount, and specifically chapter 5, that's not at all what Jesus is really getting at. He's not getting at, you must behave properly so you're not punished. He's getting at the heart, what is in the heart. So uh, as we go through this, um, keep that in mind that um, he's speaking to a society and a group of people who outwardly obey the law generally and look good, but it's what's inside that counts. So let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, uh, thank you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for uh, the ability for us to gather and to be here. Thank you for your word that you abundantly have given us in uh, different formats and uh, different versions and uh, so many choices like we have with everything in life, um, we're grateful and ask that uh, now at this time that you would meet with us, that you would... Um, open our eyes to the truth of your word, that you would uh, open our ears to hear your word, and that you would be at work in our lives, that our hearts would be responsive, that our worship of you wouldn't be just outward, but that it would be inward, that you would be glorified in our thoughts and in our inner uh, attitudes so be glorified, I pray, Lord, and uh, be at work here in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, I uh, kind of modified last week's notes, um, and uh, we're not going to go over that, that whole first page. Some of that, hopefully, you could fill in the blanks, author, setting. Uh, I do want to just reiterate the kingdom. It's about the kingdom of God, and I've used David Platt's de definition here. The kingdom of God is the redemptive rule and reign of God in Christ. So it's both now and to come. Uh, most of us are aware of that. We are in the kingdom. The king has come. We are subjects of the king over and above and far more than we are American citizens or residents of the state of Alaska. We are in the kingdom and we have a king. 
And the clearer you grasp that, the more your life will be impacted and the more God will be able to use you in a glorifying way to himself. Um, So I, I wanted to stress that. It's now and the fulfillment will come when he returns. Okay, what does uh, blessed mean? How does that differ from happy? Hopefully you remember those kinds of things. Who are the blessed? Uh, Well, Jesus said it's the poor in spirit. It's those who mourn. It's the meek. It's those who hunger and thirst. It's the merciful, the pure in heart. And this was all weird stuff. Just like it's weird now. If I say to you, man, the happiest people are those who think they are nothing and they have no confidence in their own ability. Wouldn't that sound weird? I mean, that's not popular thought. Popular thought is the happiest people are the ones who are so assertive and they have full confidence in their abilities and they can do anything and everything and they're out there getting it all done. That's the popular thought. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, blessed, happy, beyond happy, are those who are poor in spirit. They understand their need. They're humble. They put others first. They don't, as Jeff was sharing with us earlier, they don't retaliate. They return a harsh word with a kind word. So the Sermon on the Mount is as radical, I think, today as it ever was. It it certainly is radical in today's America. So, uh, I talked about salt and light, and those two things have to do with purpose. You know, we have a purpose. I'd encourage you to read all of this. Uh, Then I have the abbreviated formula, R is greater than S plus P equals KOH. And Jesus said, after he taught these, these first parts of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, In verse 20 of Matthew chapter 5, For I tell you, unless your righteousness, that's the R, exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, is greater than the F plus the P, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So, for them, many of whom were self-righteous, who thought they were good, Jesus said, unless you can beat the best of the best in your own righteousness, you have no hope for the kingdom, now or forever. And he would say the same thing here. He would say the same thing to us. Unless your righteousness, unless your rightness, unless your right relationship with God is better than the best of the best, the best of the best, the scribes and the Pharisees, unless it exceeds that in some way, you really have no hope of entering the kingdom. And if you're fairly fluent in evangelical Christian doctrine, well, you realize that's because we trust his righteousness. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. So ours exceeds the best efforts any human could ever put forth other than that divine human, which is Christ. Okay, and then, uh, so that now before I read Matthew 21 through 30, I just want to reiterate, Jesus wants to change the way you think. He wants to change how you think. Because even if you're thinking right, and hopefully we all are in a bunch of areas, there are still ways that we think incorrectly. 
And so he wants to change that. And by changing how you think, he wants to change your actions, your behavior. Because where your thoughts are, your behavior will follow. And if not, you would be the hypocrites that Jesus describes in this whole passage, which is why he goes back to what's in the heart. is far more important than the outward appearance. So, okay, picking up in verse 21, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother or brother's sister will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire or to the fires of hell. So, now, when you first read this, this may seem like way out of place here. But he says, so, if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, first, he says, be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison, and Greg come visit you. (laughs) Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. That seems, a lot of the Sermon on the Mount, it's, at first reading, it's sometimes it's like, okay, I'm not really following this. And sometimes I've had that uh, feeling with that. You may too. I'll continue reading. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I'll just pause there and say he's speaking to primarily a male audience or that's his intent. But this works in both directions. It's not only men who would look lustfully at a woman, especially in our times, Men can look lustfully at men. Women can look lustfully at women. Women can look lustfully at men. So don't, you know, we don't want to just narrow this down. Um, So he says, uh, if you're, in verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. So he's not talking about the extreme punishment of, oh, I stole, therefore cut off my hand. He's saying something is better than something else. And so we're going to just move on through this. At, At the bottom of the first page... When I I wrote, Jesus wants to change the way I think. Yes, no, maybe so, not too concerned. And I put a line through that. So you can circle one of those, or you don't need to. It's up to you. But I encourage you to be brutally honest with yourself and with God. Because he knows you and me anyway, right? He knows my thoughts. He knows 
what I treasure in my heart, he knows. He knows what I do before I do it. So just think on that. Does Jesus want to change the way you think? And, and I would encourage you to put the answer that you really believe. Okay, on the next page, um, the reason I made a big issue out of these four words last week, opinion, conviction, belief, and truth, is first of all, I, you know, I had mentioned in the last 14, 15 months, more than that, but especially that the overemphasis on the importance of opinion has caused shocking problems. Shocking problems. Um, so I give my definition um, for opinion, and Joel's got that there, a belief or judgment that rests on grounds insufficient to produce complete certainty, a personal view or attitude. Um, and in, in my notes I put it's entirely subjective, it's individual preference, low importance. My opinion has very, very little importance. Um, it's not provable. I can't prove my opinion. It's not, my opinion is not a fact. Uh, I think it does, and it's in print, so it has to be true, right? Um, yeah, but examples, chocolate's better than vanilla. You can't prove that. Now, you could take a survey and say more people like chocolate than they do vanilla, but it still doesn't prove that the Lakers are better than the Celtics or that chocolate's better than vanilla. It's an opinion. And we all need to embrace the fact that you know, I can have my opinion, especially on things that are not important. But never forget, I gave up my right to my opinions at the cross. Especially to fight over my opinions. I, I gave that up at the cross. I, I can't go to war over stuff like this. The next word, conviction. Conviction is subjective, as is opinion. That's, it's, it's, um, it's entirely connected to the subject. It's not this kind of empirical proof or fact. Uh, conviction is subjective. It's individual. It's moderately important. It's a little more important than my opinion. Um, and we frequently use the Romans chapter 14 thing as an example. Um, convictions are not really provable and they're not really worth separation separating fellowship. That's why Paul taught us in Romans. You know, one man says, oh, I can eat meat that was sacrificed to idol because it's just a T-bone steak. And somebody else is like, no, 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 I can't do that in good conscience because, you know, it, it was sacrificed to an idol and I used to be an idol worshiper and so I can't do that. But those are, there's not a right or a wrong. They're just different. And we all have different convictions. Um, and we need to follow our convictions and also always examine them in the light of Scripture. Yeah, my conviction might be the Lakers will win it all this year, or chocolate has significant health benefits. Well, I can, back, I can find a bunch of, quote, evidence to prove it, and somebody else can find a bunch of evidence to disprove it, 
And so there's no point in arguing over that. It's my conviction. It's not Steve's conviction. It's not Greg, the other Greg's conviction. We, we're to love one another, embrace one another, embrace the fact that he has his convictions, I have my convictions, but God is greater than it all. He overarches it all. And we're in fellowship, and we love one another. And I will lay down my life for my brother and trust that my brother would lay down his life for me. We must maintain unity in the body because our testimony is directly connected to that. Okay, conviction, belief. Also, you can think of the words faith and trust. I put it subjective, objective. My belief is really not objective in the sense of being provable. It's very important. I will be lost or saved based on my beliefs. Correct? Yeah, it's super important. We, that's why we have the Word. That's why we have teachers. That's why we have the Spirit of God. Because what we believe is super important. Very, very important. But it's not actually provable. Reasons for my belief are. So if you go to Romans, and it says all are without excuse, because God has demonstrated his power and stuff through creation and stuff. Well, he has. And that is a fact. But I can't go to creation and conclusively prove to a skeptic that that is the God of the Bible. You follow me? I know it's the God of the Bible. That's my conviction and that's my belief because I have embraced the next word, the truth. And so I understand, well, if God says it, it's true. So if God says the mountains display his creative glory, then to me that's true. But to somebody else, it's not. And so beliefs are kind of relative. They're not all correct. I can believe what I want to believe. Sue can believe what she wants to believe. But they're not all correct, right? Yeah. But it's belief. It's not empirical, provable truth. Now, if you're having trouble with that, what do we walk by right now? Faith. Faith. Not by sight. That's what I mean. So God has called us to embrace him by faith. By faith. To believe. Yeah, and he gets great glory. And one day, faith won't be necessary. It'll all be truth. We'll experience it all. And God will be glorified. Because some believed. Okay, so belief. Very important. Um, and I put as my example down there, Jesus is my Savior. That's my belief. Now, I can't prove that right now, today, I can testify to it. I can back it up with the word, but I can't physically prove it like I can prove gravity. Okay? Belief is hugely important. And then we mentioned last time, and truth. Truth is entirely objective. It's universal. When Jesus said, I am the truth, that's really a mind-blowing kind of statement. But since he created everything, including the, the laws of physics, He's the truth. And if you have trouble with, well, there's truth in science, you know, because in college, uh, my science courses, the UA teacher told me, you know, such and such. And my ancestors used to swing around in the trees a while back. Well, that's not truth, right? 
How can you prove that? You can't prove that. You, you cannot prove that. Nobody can prove that. They have theories, so that would be more like a conviction or a belief, but that's not provable. And I can't prove that God made Adam, right? I mean, how could I prove it right now? I believe it. I believe it. I have his word to back it up. So it, it gives substance to what I believe. But it's not provable like gravity. Where two of us are up on the top of a building. I'm like, you know, there's gravity and it will pull you to the ground fast. Nah, that's true for you, but it's not really true for me. That's ridiculous, right? Okay, because we live in a time when people want to convince you that truth is relative. Oh, that's your truth. No, that's my belief. Truth is not relative. Truth is absolute. Absolute. Okay, so there's all of that. Opinion is less than conviction, which is less than belief, which is less than truth. And our opinions and convictions and beliefs can lead us into truth or lead us into lies. We can believe lies. There's, we should know that. Um, okay, and then Jesus teaches these six statements. You have heard, but I say. He's telling the people of the time, this is a common thing. You've heard this. People say this. You should not commit adultery. Or you've heard it said, you don't commit murder. But I say to you, Jesus, the one who said he's the fulfillment of the law, not the abolisher of the law, the fulfillment of the law, says, okay, so this is what you've heard. Now, in those six statements, that's not all exact scripture from the Old Testament. He's saying, you have heard it said. Now, a lot of it is based on the Old Testament, but the very first one, you have heard it said, it was said to those of old, you shall not commit murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Really? Because kind of like in my Old Testament, it says whoever murders is going to die. Because that's really what it taught. That's what the law said. So Jesus is saying, okay, the, the popular way of looking at things is if you commit murder, you know, you're going to have to, you'll be called up, you're going to have to appear before counsel or judgment, you know, and, you know, etc., etc. That's kind of more like our time. But that's not the Old Testament time. So he's saying, you've heard it said, this is the common thing, but I say to you, the man who is the fulfillment of the law, who knows it beginning to end, because he's the basis of it. And he says, but I say to you. Okay, so murder. He says, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Council there would be the Sanhedrin, basically, the ruling higher authority. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Is that shocking? I mean, just take it at face value. I think it is. <laughs> yeah. It's like, seriously? You could get called up before a court just for you know, saying somebody's an idiot? Yeah, that's kind of what he's saying. It's not, you don't just have to commit murder to be guilty. It's what's in here. Yeah. And if I'm driving down the road and somebody cuts me off and I'm like, you idiot, didn't you see the sign? 
I need to stop and think, whoa, what am I doing? I'm cursing this person. I'm, what Jesus is saying is equivalent to murder. Okay, now let me just be clear. It's equivalent to murder, but it's not, right? In a civil society, it's not. You know, the state of Alaska is not going to try me for a murder if I say, you know, somebody's an idiot. But in God's eyes, one is directly connected to the other because this is where he works. We have to deal with all of this, right? So we have a rule. And if you kill somebody, we'll try you for murder. But you can call him an idiot all day long because that's how society has to function. You can't put everybody in jail for calling somebody a name or obviously that would be a problem. But, but you need to understand the difference. You know, it doesn't mean that um, they're equally the same, and especially the next one, um, which we're going to get to in just a minute. So you have to understand they're like the same, but they're not the same. In an in a outward civil way, it's not the same. When Jesus says, you know, if you look on a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. And I think many wives, rightfully so, would nudge or elbow their husbands and say, that's adultery, bro. You know, if you're lusting over the lady next door or whatever on TV or something, that's adultery. Well, it is, but it isn't, right? I mean, we're all going to understand that. It's like, oh, so... Then if I slept with her, it wouldn't be any worse? Well, no, of course. That would be much worse, right? You follow me? Yeah, of course. Acting the things out, that's a whole other thing. But Jesus isn't, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the in here part. And it's like, well, no, I never slept with the lady next door, so I've never committed adultery. I'm a very good husband. And Jesus would say, yeah, except you committed adultery in your heart like more times than anybody but me could count, Right? That's the point. Because he's the God. He knows our hearts. If we worship him in, a, in our heart, we worship him. If we just obey rules outwardly, we're just religious. And the world's not short on religion. Do you follow me? I mean, it's still a good thing. It's still a good thing. It makes for a, a more moral society. I'm not saying that's bad. But that's not the essence of it. The essence is in here. In here. I can't hide sin in my heart where only God sees. It's like only God sees? Who else are you caring about? (laughs) If you don't care about what God sees, you're missing it. He's the one we should care about more than anybody else. Right? Yeah, so it's what's in here. And that's why when the Bible says, guard your heart, it's so important. Okay. And the other reason I'm going through, I went through the convi- opinion, conviction, belief, and truth is because this is so important. And a lot of people have the opinion, well, it's just a religious book. No, 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 no. It's the Word of God. And I have to bring my opinions, my convictions, my beliefs, even my conscience, I have to, as David Platt said, recalibrate it to match the word. So I can't read 
well, if you've uh, called somebody a name, then uh, you know you're liable to going to hell. Or if you think somebody's stupid, that's like committing murder. My opinion would be like, nah, I don't think so. So yeah, I'm going to keep reading. Let's see, see what it says in chapter seven. I can't do that. I can't put my opinion over God's word. I can't put my convictions over God's word. Because God's word is truth. Amen. Right? Amen. Now, it's my belief that this is truth. But it's truth. Amen. And so my beliefs have to change. My convictions have to change. My opinions have to change to conform to this. And that's why I'm jumping on that. It's like it's so important. Because if I read something, and we'll read stuff later on whenever I do more of this, well, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. That should be shocking to us. Because every one of us, our hand and our eye has been used to lead us into sin. Not just men with women. Every one of us. And that, you know, if he says, gouge your eye out. Seriously? I know a guy who's in jail facing years because he got in a bar fight and he hit a guy and the guy lost the sight of his eye. And so he's, his whole life's been turned all around. And that wasn't even intentional. Jesus is saying, if my eye causes me to sin... It is such a drastic problem, I would be better to gouge out my eye. And throughout church history, there have been people who took similar actions. But it's, it's the actions isn't going to fix it. The problem is in here. And the Spirit of God will work in here as we submit to Him and earnestly desire Him to work in here. And we're transformed. Okay, so remember verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And look at verse 48, the last verse in that chapter. Therefore, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So we kind of got this perfection sandwich with the those six things in between them. And w one of the worst things I think we could do today is to walk away from here thinking, oh, thank Jesus, man, he's perfect. He, he gives me perfect righteousness and it's all good. And not be taken aback by these six warnings that Jesus himself put in very drastic terms. Okay, Murder. What is murder? Um, probably have a definition. The killing of another human being under conditions specifically covered in the law. Okay, so that's murder. Um, it's killing, there are conditions involved, and it's under the law. Okay, what isn't murder? Well, most people would say warfare because the Governing authority, the law, says it's okay to kill at this time, in this place, under these circumstances. 
It's only as valid as the governing authority that makes those decisions, but that is a very important factor. So warfare is not generally thought of as murder. Law enforcement wouldn't be murder. You know, if a police officer comes to your house to protect you from somebody and he has to take the life of, of the criminal or the offender, he hasn't murdered the person. Now, most police officers would still have a lot of difficulty with having taken someone's life, but that's part of the job. It's not murder. Um, Self-defense would be a popular one. People would say, well, it's not murder if somebody breaks into my house and I didn't call the police, but I have my own gun and he's going to beat me up and I shot him. Self-defense. I would agree that's not murder, though Jesus has something to talk about self-defense further in this chapter. So, you know, murder is and isn't, I guess what I want to say in all of that is the civil definitions are only as good as the civil definition, right? Nazi Germany, the definition of what was murder, we now look back on and think, seriously, how could you do that? And Lord willing, if he waits long enough, somebody will look back on our society and look at the whole abortion situation and say, seriously, that wasn't considered murder? How could you do that? And there would be other things that, you know, fall into all of this. So just be aware that the governing, the secular governing authority that makes these determinations, this is always over and above, right? We know that. So when there's discrepancy, we have to say, and it's not always easy. It's not always easy. I just saw a movie recently about a guy who served in World War II. wasn't Sergeant York, but that gives you kind of the idea if you're old enough to know the movie Sergeant York, which I am and I love it. Um, but yeah, so being a conscientious objector in combat and all of that, I mean, it's like, okay, well, there's God's law, there's the civil law, how do I bring these two together? And it, it's not always easy, right? We all know that. It's not always easy. But, don't miss the point here. Jesus is saying, first of all, murder isn't just killing somebody. And more importantly, the second half of that passage is he says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled with your brother. So in my notes, when I put, what's more important than church, you know, at that time they would bring a gift to the temple and it would be offered. So you can picture a guy walking up with his, you know, basket full of grain maybe or leading his lamb or his goat. And he's like, oh man, uh, Jeff, Jeff's got an issue with me and I haven't resolved that. Jesus is saying, leave the sheep there, go to Jeff, resolve the issue. Now, I'm not going to pick this to pieces. A lot of times I, I just say, go with the obvious. What's the obvious thing here? The relationship is important. It's more important than finishing this, this um, theoretical example of finishing your offering at the, at the church. It, the relationship is what's important. So why is our relationship so hugely important? Well, maybe it's because... 
the greatest commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. That's in here. And love your neighbor, your brother, as yourself. If we don't get that right, we mess it all up. So it's heart attitude and relationship. That's what's important there. And there's, again, I put in the formula. Uh, and then why, is this, why does this seem so harsh? Well, Jesus mentions in these other passages here that um, what goes into me isn't nearly as important as what comes out. They were talking about eating without washing your hands. And he says, it's not what goes into Greg that matters. It's what comes out. Because the food just passes on through. It's, it's what's in his heart. And what comes out of his mouth is a reflection of what's in his heart. And sometimes we're really good at kind of like sanitizing that, right? We can be like, oh no, I would never talk like that. And my heart's just boiling like a volcano <laughs> that's spewing lava. But I'm like, oh no, praise God. Be blessed, right? It's what's in the heart. It's the attitude. Relationship with the brother is important. And in Luke, he said, out of the abundance, out of everything that's in my heart, my mouth speaks. So, yeah, if, if I say to the guy who cuts me off on the road, idiot, well, there's a whole lot more in there than just idiot. And I need to deal with that stuff. And it's so very important because everything comes from there. Um, okay, let's look at 1 Samuel. I just want to talk briefly about the outward appearance. So uh, 1 Samuel 16. If you want to turn there on whatever you have. And I'll call on somebody to read it. Let's just make sure you're paying attention. I won't call on you to read it. <laughs> um, okay, 1 Samuel 16. So Samuel... The, the nation's kind of fighting through this whole kingship thing and all this mess, and then they finally got a king, and he's not the right guy, and it's all icky, and Samuel's getting old, Samuel's the prophet. And God says, okay, we're going to go anoint the new king, the one who will replace Saul. And so he kind of gets directed, and he goes to Bethlehem, or I think it's Bethlehem, wherever uh, David's family is. And um, I'm just going to read in verse 6. So 1 Samuel 16, verse 6. When they came, he, being Samuel, looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Meaning, man, Jesse's oldest son, Eliab, this is the guy, man. He's tall, he's good looking, he's strong. He's the kind of guy we need to do all these kind of chores around here. I mean... He's got it. This is the guy. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I... <laughs> Who was it? <laughs> yes. On the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord sees the heart. He sees my heart even before things have happened. He sees the beginning and the end and everything in between. So he knows that. 
that's why it's so important that I worship God in my heart. And my heart is pure. And I don't have murder in my heart. And I don't have lust in my heart. That's why it's so important. He looks on the heart. So I just gave you a little opportunity here. How would you rate your outward appearance? And you can pick a number. And I'm going to look at every one. And if you circle 10, you're really going to be in trouble. <laughs> no, seriously, though, evaluate yourself. How would, I, how would I, by outward appearance, we're talking about what everybody sees, like what I look like at church or at, at work or whatever. You know, how am I doing on the outward appearance? The outward appearance isn't totally unimportant, right? It's important. I mean, I can't go around swearing and, you know, acting weird or whatever. So the outward appearance, which is what people see, and we are to reflect God, you know, I'm not saying it's of zero importance. It's just not the big one. So how would you rate your outward appearance? And then the second one, how would you rate your heart, the inner you? How is that doing? And I even put in my notes, and how would God rate it? How would God rate you? He knows my heart. He knows my temptations. He knows any little sneaky thing I do that nobody else is going to know about or see. He knows that. How would he rate me? Okay, and then at the end of this, I put, what's the main point of 23 through 26? I pretty much already mentioned that. Uh, the main point would be a failure to keep the greatest commandment or relationship. Okay? We're on the back page. Tom is like, yeah, go Greg, go, go Greg. Um, so let, let me just read now those three verses again. Matthew 5, 27 through 30. This is the second of the big six here. You have heard it that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say that but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body to go into hell. Okay, I just thought I'd share briefly some of the, uh, some of the words. I'm using the ESV. Some of you have a different version, and it's going to say it a little bit differently. Uh, but, so I'm... I'm uh, whatever I'm doing, transliterating or something, uh, from the ESV. Uh, lustful intent. Lustful means to set the heart upon, to covet, to desire. So when he says lustful intent, you know, if I'm looking at the neighbor, I don't really have a great neighbor, just to be clear, that's just an example. I do that kind of stuff. But if I'm looking at the neighbor lady and I'm setting my heart upon her, and I'm desiring her, I'm coveting her, okay? That would be lustful intent. Um, the word looks is a continuous process 
of looking. So if I'm watching television and a very scandalous commercial pops up and I'm like, whoa, you know, beach scenes or whatever, I haven't sinned in that as long as I avert my eyes and I'm like, okay, that's not really what I was after here. I was trying to watch my basketball team. To look on in this context is a continuous process of looking. And then added to that some other grammar here that says a goal or action that follows the action of looking. So it's not simply a glance. It's a repeated kind of thing. And I think every single guy in here at least knows exactly what I'm talking about. You know, we live in a super sexualized world and it's continual battle. And some of us are waging the fight well and some of us are losing it completely. When you read through Proverbs, it talks about the adulterous woman. It's like that was the one lady in that whole part of town. You know, so if you didn't see her on the street or whatever, you're good. Okay, well, the adulterous woman is in my phone. She's in my house. She's everywhere I look. She's jogging on Sundays on the, <laughs> on the sidewalk. She's everywhere. Now, I'm not blaming people that are out running in exercise gear. I think you understand that. But our society is so sexual. And so it's everywhere. It's not like it was in Solomon's time in Proverbs. It's a continual battle. So when I talk about this, and Jesus says, you know, you look on a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery. What he's saying is, you know, it wasn't just a one-off kind of thing. I would already know. It's not just a glance. It's a looking. It's a coming back looking. It's, you know, it's like, I've already lost the fight. And that's what he's speaking into right here. Um, did I'm sorry, Joel, did you put up the lust definition? Intense sexual desire or appetite. We live in a constant battle against that, at least as men. Uncontrolled or illicit sexual desire or appetite. Lecherousness. Lecherousness is like such an old word, but man, I think we should use it more because doesn't it really sound like, yeah, yeah, it sounds like all of that. It's like, what are you doing, you lecherous person? You know, quit, you're drooling on your shirt, quit, quit looking at her. I mean, it, it's probably a word we should use more. But so you get it. So when Jesus is saying, you know, you're not supposed to commit adultery, so Greg, you know, well, I never cheated on my wife, you know. I, Kim knows, or I think she knows. I've told her, you know, I've never committed adultery. And then I read this, like, whoa. Okay, well, that kind of knocked me off my pedestal, didn't it? Yeah. I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in, in his heart. And as we wrap up, the rest of this is the most important part. He says, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. If your hand causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Think in terms of lust and sexual sin. Starts here. 
Next thing would be touching, right? I mean, I hope you don't mind me being perfectly kind of blunt. But that's how sexual sin goes. And we have so much opportunity for this that if you are, especially men, if you are not absolutely intentional about winning this war, you will be a casualty. I know more casualties than you would want to know about. And one thing will lead to another thing, 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 and you will end up being a slave or an inmate or both. And you'll lose families, and you'll lose people's respect. And I'm not here to condemn anybody. I'm here to say there's hope in Christ. He is our strength. He is our Redeemer. And we have to live in Him and worship Him here. It can't be like, you know, it doesn't work that way. It has to be genuine. My faith must be open and honest before the King of Kings. Who knows my thoughts? And once we get there, life becomes uh, less burdensome. I will just say that. It doesn't mean the struggles are gone, but it means there's hope. Um, oh, and one other thing here, where he says sin, if your right eye causes you to sin, common word for sin in the New Testament is hamartia? What is it? Hamartia, which means missing the mark, right? We Most of us have heard that. It's like you're shooting the, the bow and arrow and you miss the target. But this word for sin isn't that. It's... Thank you. I don't want to butcher it. It, it would sound like my Spanish, which is equally bad. Scandal. scandal. Yeah, you get the word scandal from that. Uh, and it means to entice to sin, to cause to fall away, to stumble. So there's a, an element of enticement, and there's an element of tripping up, stumbling, falling. Perfect analogy? Fishing lure. So, are we going to be fish? You know, you know how frustrating, if you fish much, you know how frustrating it is when the fish aren't biting. It's like, come on, I've put everything I got in the tackle box in front of you. Take it. May the devil feel that way about us all the time. I mean that. I absolutely mean that. Because that's what it's about. They, they even use this word like entrapping, like a bait stick, and an animal would come and take the bait, and they'd be caught in a snare. That's what Jesus is talking about, and he's saying it's so bad to the point of gouging out your eye or cutting off your hand. That's how bad it is. So if we think, no, it's not too bad, you know, or nobody knows, or I, or if you're a female and you're like, well, I'm not a guy, I don't do that. I, th- I think I could use a size smaller pants, you know, a little bit tighter. We're all in this. You know, men are different than women. Newsflash. <laughs> but, but we're all in this together. I mean, it, it, this is our society. So, Last thing. Murder. The relationship I need to restore. We touched on this briefly because the murder part is mostly goes to relationships. So 
This is between you and our wonderful Lord. Identify a relationship you need to restore, and what will you do to fix it? We don't want to be hearers of the word and not doers. You know, my hope is that you come to church and you want to be changed, and you want to be transformed. And every day of your Christian walk, you want to grow. That's my desire, and that's my desire for all of you, as it is Tom's and Spencer's and Steve's. So, make it real. What's the relationship you need to fix and what will you do to fix it? And in relation to lust, what is the action, behavior, or device helping me to lust? I intentionally put helping me because we can't blame the television or the computer or the phone or the lady next door. The problem's in here. These things are just facilitators. So, If you want to change, today is the day, now is the time. What device, what do you need to do? The man I talked to who's in jail because he tends to be aggressive and caused, in a fight, caused a man to lose sight in his eye. He's about to go before the parole board because he got out on probation and went to a bar. And according to him, somebody else started this other altercation, and he got in a fight. And so now he's afraid that the parole board's just going to, like, throw everything at him. It's like, dude, you're not learning. You're harmful. So we're just going to toss you away. Which, on the one hand, you understand. And on the other hand, I know the guy. I mean, he's a guy. He's a person. He's real to me. And so I said, well, maybe what you could do, I said, the parole board's going to want, they don't want the same old, same old. So you're going to have to hit them with some kind of new suggestion. Maybe you could tell them that you will have an accountability partner with your phone and GPS tracking thing, and that person will track you, and you will not go in any bars or restaurants that serve alcohol or liquor stores. Because for him, it's always connected with that. If he's sober, he's a nice guy. Gets drunk, he gets very aggressive. I don't know if he'll do that or not, But that's a workable solution, in part. So with the whole lust thing, what do you you need to change? What action, behavior, device do you need to change? I mean, I know people that... I always encourage my wife to pick up my devices and look anytime. Email, text, whatever. Once in a while she's like, Who's Sally McGillicuddy? And I'm like, I uh, have no idea. Let me see. And it's, oh, that's that, you know, the nurse at the jail, and she had to text me when the inmate went off life support or, you know, something like that. But it's always green lights for her to take any of my stuff and get on it. That is, like, so healthy. I would very, very much encourage you, men, to do that. But there could be other things. You, you may need an accountability partner. You may need to get rid of your television. Uh, you know, I don't know. We're all different. But we all battle. So, what is the thing? Just pick one. And to fix it, what will you do? All right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you are above and beyond the stuff that we struggle with. But at the same time, you're right here with us. You're eager to help. You want to be our strength. Uh, You want us 
to read your word and fear you and love you and, and trust you, trust your loving arms of a Abba Father who loves us, but also recognize that we will stand before you. So, Lord, I pray that you would work all of this out in our lives. We, I think all of our desire is that you be glorified. We want you to make yourself look good through us in our lives. That's our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.